0: This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website.
1: We're broadcasting tonight from the Triple R studios on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. This is and always will be Aboriginal land. I'm your host, Flick Ford, and I'm joined in the studio tonight by author, reviewer and man about town, Will Cox.
2: Man about town? (laughs)
1: Well, I saw you in town the other day. Oh yeah, that's right. (laughs) Man about town.
2: Yeah, Yeah. okay, I'll take
0: it. We were just talking about Russell Brand off air, so
1: (laughs) man about town has a dark undertone. This is
2: needed, please.
1: (laughs) Does it have a negative undertone?
0: Man about town?
1: No, I thought people it was have
0: called me that many times I, I, I thought don't know it's just
1: like you like to be social uh, yeah I guess so we should introduce another man who's not about town <laughs> <laughs> film critic and host of the international pop underground Anthony crew uh,
0: good and evening Crue. dr Ford <laughs> author Wilcox <laughs>
1: Is this what we call a cross promotional Triple R event? Yeah,
0: Yeah, it's one of the great cross promotional (laughs) events in history. Get out of here, Avengers Endgame. (laughs) It's me being on uh, Primal Screen for, I don't know. How many times? Six, maybe? Five? Yeah,
1: Blowing
2: yeah. listeners' minds. Oh, yeah. Exactly. What, what day is it? Oh.
1: Where am I? So, on tonight's show, we're going to be chatting about Emerald Fennell's dark comedy, drama, psycho-thriller? I don't know. We'll work out what the genre it is. Saltburn. Um, plus, the new Netflix series, Scott Pilgrim, takes off. And just a little shout-out, just recently, in fact, last night, the Melbourne Queer Film Festival wrapped up. Will, we made it along to All of Us Strangers. Mm. Hey, on I saw a that too. Yes. Wait, which screening were you at?
0: Saturday night.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I... it
0: was a Sunday night. Sorry, what day is it? That's an excellent <laughs> question, Will.
1: Um, I saw Solo last night as part of the uh, closing night, and that was another. Beautiful film. I feel like they've done really amazing programming this year. Um, there will be something happening in January for MQFF, kind of like a mini festival. So keep your eye out on the uh, socials for more information about that.
2: Is that kind of midsummer related? Midsummer <laughs> tide.
1: I wondered whether it might be. Yeah, um, possibly. Um, so if you missed a few of them, I mean, go back through the program. But I'm guessing that a lot of the films that will hopefully get a release at some stage. Um, so yeah, worthwhile keeping an eye out.
0: Wow, when you said midsummer related, I thought it was like sweet. <laughs> (laughs) British (laughs) cults, murdering obnoxious Americans. What? What's going on?
1: Another bear.
2: (laughs) change changed changed the meaning of the name of that festival, didn't it?
1: Different
0: kind of bear. Different kind of spells involving pubic hair. Melbourne's
1: own Triple R. Now, many listeners will likely be familiar with actor-director Emerald Fennell's work. She produced, wrote and directed the 2020 dark comedy Promising Young Woman, starring Carey Mulligan. Uh, The film received a whole heap of Academy Award nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director and Best Original uh, Screenplay for Fennell. Um, And she went on to become one of only seven women and the first British woman to earn a nomination for Best Director. She was also the showrunner for the second season of the TV series Killing Eve. Uh, Which is actually still available to stream on ABC iView. And she played Camilla in the third and fourth season of the TV series The Crown. And
0: Pregnant Midge in Barbie. Of
1: course, of course. How could I forget? Um, And last night, uh, last week, her second feature was released in cinemas. Just before we get into this one, were either of you watching Killing Eve or The Crown? Have you been.
2: I watched the first season of Killing Eve, which was um, when it was still. uh, What's her name? Who made. um... Fleabag (laughs) Phoebe (laughs) Waller-Bridge Phoebe Waller-Bridge was still in charge You okay tonight,
1: Will? (laughs) I don't
2: know Look, I'm off the clock
0: Uh, I've seen all the episodes of Killing Eve Uh, I've never seen The Crown in any
1: No, neither have I I'm the same I've watched Actually, no, I've only watched I think I've watched a a handful of them Either way, I feel like most people will know Fenelle's work from Promising Young Woman But here is her second uh, debut Uh, Second (laughs) feature Oh my gosh (laughs) Am I okay tonight? I don't know you all right yeah i've got a flat tire take my bike hey that was so kind thank you
2: i'm sorry i don't know your name i'm i'm felix oliver oliver (laughs) oliver i love you i love i love you all right cheers ollie my parents
0: they've got problems what kind of what do you mean problems i don't think i'll ever go home again well why don't you come home with me come to saltburn mr quick wow and here
2: he is now oh what beautiful eyes oh how wonderful yeah i told you it wasn't a minger oh but darling you're kind about everyone you can't be trusted i had them hang up an old school dinner jacket we dressed for dinner here
1: dress for dinner yeah it's like yeah, it was like black tie
0: i think i like you even more than last year's one
1: You're so, um...
2: So what?
1: Real. Saltburn stars Barry Keegan as Oliver Quick, who gets a scholarship to Oxford and soon becomes entangled with charismatic rich boy Felix, played by Euphoria's Jacob Elordi, who invites him to spend the Christmas break at his palatial estate with his parents, played by Rosamund Pike and Richard E. Grant. Uh, I saw this uh, yesterday, so it's kind of quite fresh in my mind. I've been Mm. mulling it over. Um, Will, were you a fan of Fennell's earlier film, Promising Young Woman? Not
2: really. No, I, I, I haven't seen it since it came out, so mm. I won't go into too much detail because it's no. the kind of film you need to be very precise about saying what you didn't like about it. But yes. um yep. I, I think I liked the premise and I liked where it started, and then I, it got away from me, and I didn't, mm. I didn't I think, yeah. really like. Ultimately, I didn't feel like it was successful. Like I didn't do what it needed to be doing. Yeah. yeah.
1: So hi, I mean we've got a we've got a stacked cast for Saltburn.
2: Yeah, Will great, have, great yeah. cast.
1: Yeah. What were your what were your thoughts?
2: Oh, on the whole thing. Well, look, okay, so it varies a lot. I mean, okay, so Barry Keane is excellent. Yes. And he's great at playing the uh, weirdo outsider. Uh, he's great at that because he's done it three or four times before um, in, in several other films, um, Killing of a Sacred Deer. Mm. Um, he's that in... Uh, Eternals. Not, it, he Banshees starts, of Inner Sharon. Where
0: he starts a cult in Eternals. Are you oh, a fan of that?
2: No. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> And and people, I mean, Rosamund Pike's so good in it. Richard E. Grant, they both having the best time. Oh, like and got, Kerry yeah, Mulligan. Yeah. Like it would be like the elder cast get the have the best time. Well, Kerry
1: like. Mulligan was apparently she was tipped to play another role. I'm not sure which one. I'm guessing the mother, but yeah. then she, she actually asked to play. um what's actually put in the um, poor dear Pamela. <laughs> poor dear Pamela in the incredible.
2: <laughs> is that a, is that That's how she's in the credits? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> and then like I like Jacob Elordi in it as well because he's blandly perfect, which it, is, is also, what I feel like yeah. a man like Oliver would aspire to. But he's I, also
1: doing a great accent. He's an Aussie actor. You, oh. wouldn't, you wouldn't pick it, would you?
2: Well, Barry Keane's also doing a pretty good Liverpoolian accent. Mm,
1: Although yeah. Liverpool
2: and Ireland are, well, <laughs> Where
1: are you geographically
2: go or that? accent-wise that far apart from each other.
1: Yeah, I suppose.
2: Uh, but it is very it's a, it's a mix of lots of different things. Mm. It's, um,
0: Are you talking about how it's a shameless rewrite of Bride's Head Revisited? Yes, for the first um, half? I was
2: being I think politely yeah. uh, it's *Brideshead Revisited but that story's cropped up a bunch of times like uh, there's Alan Hollinghurst's um, The Line of Beauty, mm-hmm. which is a novel and it was adapted into a BBC series. That's basically *Brideshead Revisited mm. as well in, in a kind of 80s context yeah. and I don't know why but this story is always retrospectively set 20 years in the past <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and this is too and this is basically um, Tom Ripley from um, yes. talented Mr. Ripley turns up at Bride's Head. That's that's or at what least basically. at least
1: wants to be. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's what it wants to be. <laughs> I mean, it's um, not even that's a great premise. It's
0: not yeah. even really shy about it. Like, there's a reference to *Evil and War* where they're like, mm. "Oh, he's like a character in an *Evil and War* novel." Yeah, is a bit of dialogue. Well,
2: mm. she, she's not a director known for her restraint, I think. Mm. And there's also a scene with a teddy bear on the, it, 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 which comes back. Uh, the teddy bear on the, oh, that's Daddy's teddy, you know, mm. on the, and that's mm. a, that's a Bride's Head reference as well. As and a, I think even on the quite press quite circuit,
1: like, Fennel's been pushing that. As well oh really yeah yeah she's been kind of yeah. she's been making a lot of references actually to lots of different uh literary texts but also cinematic texts
0: does she yeah. reference the television show euphoria because not <laughs> no. only does this star euphoria heartthrob jacob mm. elordi but it looks a lot like a euphoria episode the colors are bright the camera movements are gymnastic mm. the camera turns upside down there's these ambitious tracking shots uh it's about youth gone wild hedonism yeah. uh the emptiness of modern culture you know uh, 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 emotional and uh you know substance abuse there's lots of penises which puts it on par with you know euphoria totally. how many are there
1: oh at least at least 3 oh <laughs> actually maybe two yes sir. okay when <laughs> I mean, are we cl- counting the statues as well i don't know i feel like they they factor we bit should well. <laughs> but you mentioned euphoria anthony mm-hmm. i feel like uh, i saw a trailer in the cinema for Coppola, Sophia Coppola's new film mm-hmm. and I actually thought, wow, this is borrowing a lot from her kind of rule book. Lots of almost, um, almost like a video clip. Mm. You know, I feel like lots of montage. Fennell does an amazing job with montage. And this focus on the beauty of youth, the destruction of youth. Um, the
0: emptiness of wealth. Uh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And, and the
1: bodies, particularly male bodies. We mentioned mm. Jacob Elordi, but also Barry Keegan, who's a surprising sort of... Uh, he's ripped uh, AF. He's, it's because he, totally he got into is. the
0: Marvel Universe, <laughs> you know. they were like, It's contractually demanded that you start doing PEDs.
1: Yeah. I
2: think and, it is, yeah. I mean, but... I mean, it's funny that you say surprising because he's not like... Hollywood gorgeous this year. No, man.
1: he's not. So and it's
2: surprising to see things. Well, and shack
1: and it also seems a little <laughs> bit at odds with his character. I do think there's a slight it oh make- right. where you, you know. just like they present him both as this yeah. object of sure. beauty it's like... but also as this kind of misfit. Mm, it's man. like Chris
0: Hemsworth in Black Hat, where he's playing a hacker, yet he's just like built like <laughs> a
1: professional <laughs> wrestler.
2: But when when was the last time you saw a film where a man took his shirt off and he didn't have like an eight pack?
1: Uh, actually, it's Indiana a- Jones.
2: Oh, yeah, but so he still looked pretty great he for a man 85. He was rich for whatever. an 81-year-old <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah, it's yeah. context. This, this, <laughs> const- this is an yeah. ongoing problem. Yeah. And I know that, like, champagne problems, because women have been coping with this for yeah. a it's- century or yeah. more, but but yeah. really I feel like in the last decade or so, it's, like, men depicted on screen as, it's, it's like, wildly... Um, you know the, the the body image stuff is just getting
1: well a particular wild. kind of body, and I, you mentioned Marvel Universe before. It's mm. that very much. It's almost like a return to this like hyperjacked uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's close to that, or mm. going. You know, yeah. But anyhow. why is a
2: bookish guy who's reading English yeah. at Oxford got? You know, yeah, why is he jacked?
1: I don't think it works, and it's interesting. It's just that. Are you that saying you don't? Part, oh, okay. I was about to say you part. don't think
2: the film works because well, Baz
0: is too <laughs> hot.
2: No, no, no,
1: <laughs> no. I think that it's it's interesting that Fennell has this places uh, the male bodies as spectacle. Mm. I'm not sure she does something with it though, and no. that's maybe what we can unpack. Okay, yeah. yeah. Do you
0: think the film is? Is this film about anything? Like, there's a very, mm. it's like a, obviously a very satirical comic depiction of both old money wealth and aspirational social climbers. Is it a film about how economic equality creates monsters, be it the grotesquely wealthy or mm. the sort of ruthless drivers who'll do anything for their piece of the pie? I mean, I guess that's a charitable reading. I but to me, it kind of feels like it's about nothing. Mm. And I actually much prefer it to Promising Young Woman, which was so, trying so desperately to be about mm. big, uh, very Temporary. topical, yeah. very trenchant issues. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know, probably like you two, that it missed yes. and that it was a failure. This one, it's kind of, to me, I, I like watching it. I'm like, this isn't really about anything. It's like this gorgeous, uh, bright confection. Mm. And I actually... I genuinely uh, Had a great time Watching it See I got a bit bored <laughs> I can't say that Was I think a it's a, a Great long? piece of cinema mm. But I just had A gay old time It's very Very funny The amount of Hilarious lines That Jacob Elordi Especially Delivers uh, Oh I thought Pike
1: Got the best Rose And Man Richard, e. Grant's is Richard great... e. Grant Got some great Richard E.
0: Grant See it's It's a great comedy But do I think It's an incisive Portrait of like mm. Social inequality right, I don't it's Telling I
2: don't... a story That's been told Many many times before mm. And then it's It's just um it's just chucking in a bunch of other things we've seen many, well, many times did, you
0: probably. talked about how uh, these stories get set 20 years before so mm. like bride's head <clears throat> in the war casting mm. back to the time before it. this film is like set in the orts and i mean we have to talk about all the incredible orts needle drops there's blur there's mgmt yes. block party arcade fire cold war kids you know it's like it, it's real like uh, ipod nostalgia but is the film really set in the 2000s? Like, they have flip phones and they're reading Harry Potter and MGMT soundtracks the montage, but to me it feels like a fable taking no, place I,
2: outside of time. I don't understand why it was supposedly set in 2006, six seven. And, I mean, look... It I feels can like tell a film me- set
0: well, in, like, 1930, especially because, <clears throat> I mean, what are the... Actually, this is getting too much into spoiler territory. I was about to say, what are the police doing? They don't seem like they're doing a particularly credible 21st century job of investigating certain crimes which may or may not happen. Uh, Are
2: there there any any coincidences or accidents? Um, I... um, I just have to say, and you can tell me if I'm being too pedantic about the needle drops. Is that oh, many of those songs had not come out? out no, yet that's at the been time. Brought, that's been brought Has up a it? lot. because yeah. I thought that because I remember, like, I mean, is it set
0: 2006,
2: seven, summer seven? I think yeah. I looked okay. it up today. And yes.
0: MGMT does definitely 2008. Well, that,
2: that song came out in December 2007, and yeah. so did the flow writer mm. song. So you know, I don't know how we're pedantic we're being here, I but think I was we just like, be pedantic. summer 2006, be... no <laughs> way. That's... You're
0: just pedantic because this is your time. I'm yeah. sure when you're watching a film set in like May all... 1968, you're not like, well, that song was actually we're... released no, in
1: 1968. Actually,
2: might be, but we're all but no. We're and all also, of the if, same you're, age if you're if you're going to be
1: bold enough to put <laughs> it in oh, the title, the story. well, if you're going to be bold enough to put it in the title card, the exact year, I think you should <laughs> yeah. allow yourself to be torn to shreds yeah, over, yeah, yeah. hey, that album wasn't out yet. The yeah, main you, issue, um, she
0: didn't have to do it. You could well, just be like, they have flip phones. We get yeah, it's the Orts.
1: I think that Fennel's main issue, and like this film, you could argue that it fits into this eat the rich sort of genre but it actually isn't eat the rich i saw i saw one one comment that it was like it's a lot less eat the rich than be the rich there's yeah. a real glorification of this lifestyle exactly. and i think the reality is Fennell, I think, just doesn't have experience in delving into those characters, particularly Oliver Quick's character. Yeah. She's Oxford alumna. you yeah, know. Okay. She's someone who isn't there to exactly challenge I... this and to think about how that would play out. And it's a shame because she sets it up really strong. And I, I, you know, I think she's someone, a director, who's really strong with openers. And I was gripped like you, mm. Anthony, at the start. Mm. But then by the end, with, even with this amazing cast, I was kind of bored and it goes okay. for... Her. You know, just over the two-hour mark. But there's just kind of empty provocations. Maybe I'd had enough
0: lulls in the first (laughs) hour and a half that I was like, I could coast through it. the end where it kind of wasn't <laughs> so great.
1: You I, could,
2: where it wasn't so great. I think uh, towards say, the
0: end where it gets a bit... I mean, I could be like, this is a very silly movie. This yeah. is ridiculous. I've never bought into it emotionally, so I'm happy when it goes to these it very became, ridiculous cartoonish places. Yes. It became a
2: different kind of silly. And it And was funny you say when it's not so great because I've written down here that I have never seen a film fall apart in the last 20 minutes mm. like this. Mm. Like it made... Some rash calls and then just keeps making more and more and more. And just when you think, stop, stop, it's already dead. Yeah. (laughs) That final scene...
1: Happens oh, or yes. any
2: number of the final of the well, potential the becomes, final scenes that keep yeah, cracking and on and it, you know. it
1: becomes something that you just you can already see where it's headed, or well, at least I could in probably the halfway mark and then it just kept going and mm. I don't know. I mean it's a it, shame because the performances are good. Mm. Everyone commits to this. And I actually really loved I love Barry Keegan. he can literally do mm. no wrong in my eyes. I loved how he transforms but it just didn't quite fit with mm. the actual plot and there wasn't enough exploration. There's a moment in which it touches upon race and that is a fascinating mm. conversation, but it doesn't go anywhere. I also,
0: it. I think that guy, Archie Mendeque is yeah, his Farlies. name. He, I had last saw him in the movie Gran Turismo, which I'm guessing neither of you watched when he played a, a <laughs> gamer turned by.
1: car driver. I remember the preview actually. Yeah, <laughs>
0: and, I, and then so seeing him, he's like the lead character in that movie and then seeing him this, he's so good. He's essentially playing the Philip Seymour Hoffman in Talented Mr mm. Ripley. Oh, yeah role yeah, yeah. where he's like, I see you social climber, I see right through you, I'm yeah. not charmed by you, I know exactly what you're doing, you don't belong here mm-hmm. and he he really nails that role. But there's also that great scene where you talked about this evocation of race and yeah. that there's the, like, this slight economic inequality even amongst the ultra wealthy. There's mm-hmm. a great scene where Jacob Elordi is sort of defending his father, Sir James Richard E. Grant, being like, oh your mum, you know his aunt has got to, got, to, got to stop going to my dad and asking him for money because he's actually been really generous with <laughs> you, which I thought was was like this incredible parroting of you know, the parental line yeah. him. but i i really, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is early on when they first arrive at, at saltburn which i'm guessing is the name of the castle it's a real
1: place as okay well. yeah, oh, is yeah.
0: and he's like showing uh oliver the barry keon character around and he's doing it it's like a tracking shot throughout this wild castle and um felix he's taking him through with this sort of no big deal spressatura to it like <laughs> oh yeah there's that priceless work of art and yeah here's this suit of armor and in that moment you can see that he's shrugging off just how ridiculous the surrounds are as if it's like oh this is no big deal I don't care about this stuff and it shows that around Oliver who he believes comes from this very lower class background he has some embarrassment and some shame Mm -hmm. about his privilege or at least doesn't want to own it and yet by the same side he uses it as a weapon many times I thought that character was really interesting and he played it really well (laughs) shout out to Jacob Elordi the world's number one beefcake right now (laughs) (laughs) get out of here chalamet
1: (laughs) it's yeah look there's a lot in this that could work out i just feel as though it is overall quite a disappointing film there's not enough specificity there's things that are raised but just never go anywhere it's a shame because there's a lot it's a rich territory it's a bit repetitive and there's just better films that do this much better i feel like
2: maybe Fennel knows that this is rich territory Mm. so it's just like I can just sort of skate around a few edges yeah, and I'll probably get the credit it. for mentioning some yeah, of these things. Yeah. But well, I don't know what her background is. You said she's sort of Oxford alumni. Yeah,
1: she, she, yeah. and I, I think that that's perhaps why Felix's character is so well written. Rosamund Pike is amazing. Yeah. And there's her mm. lines. She gets, past, I think, one of the some of the best lines. She actually lived at Saltburn while they were filming, which is hey. just fantastic. Getting I, character, you know. I
2: did kind of get the sense that this was a film about the mega rich being mm. a, you know in a kind of a satirical or critical look at the mega mm. rich but perhaps by someone who's more affiliated with the mega yeah. rich than they are from theory the, yeah, the in some of ways that seemed working more, class or middle more class.
0: the most honest bit, like yeah. her portray- mm. like it was this infect affectionate mockery mm. of the the kind of silliness, especially like Sir James, the Richard E. Grant character. Like he's so ineffectual and so wet and he's just like this little boy, you know, who gets to live in this big castle and has never had to work a day in his life. Like that character felt really well drawn, even mm. as it was a caricature. Also wanted to shout out Alison Oliver who plays Venetia, yeah. um, Felix's younger sister. She only has like five credits to her name. She made her debut in the TV adaptation of the Sally Rooney novel, Conversations with Friends. She's really great in mm. the limited stuff she actually gets to do so,
1: in
2: this movie. I thought she just about... walked in from Skins. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, fun fact about her I suppose we're talking about this, you know making these creative decisions. They gave her a particular kind of um, Saint-Tropez tan and made sure it was this kind of um, orangey effect that, mm. you know, it's changed in time. So that was another thing to try time stamp it. But then, you know, just check when an album came out. So How do we it. feel
0: about... Oh, sorry, you're trying to get out of here. How do we feel about the filmmaking and the direction? Because I thought it looked amazing.
1: It's looks beautiful, but just doesn't say anything. When, in, it,
2: when it started, I, a, I love the typography in the opening title mm. sequence. I'm a bit of a sucker for that.
0: And the first uh, <laughs> tracking shot moving through the crowd mm. at Oxford on uh, Baz's first day there, kind of reminded me a lot of like there's an early show-offy tracking shot in uh, chariots of fire it's very Mm -hmm. similar like first day at school hundreds of extras everywhere we're following them around in the rooms why do you think it's shot in academy ratio
1: yeah again i think it's just like trying to elevate something that isn't quite there it generally winds me up a
2: bit when when i get that preview you know (laughs) before i was it at nova yesterday and that sort of announcement like oh this isn't a non-standard aspect ratio by the way that's deliberate Mm. you know so don't Come complaining to us afterwards (laughs) And I see it and I go Oh come on Why? Why? And Mm. then it started And I thought Oh okay It It looks really nice I mean the classic idea
0: About the the, the narrower frame Is that it's making it seem Like a bit more of a prison Did she maybe not want the castle to be too widescreen to look too attractive, and no, I mean, idealized. the whole
1: point is is to have that. Like, there's so many tracking shots of it, yeah. Okay. I think that I don't know, I think it's just to I mean, try and make it better than what it is. It was
0: only myth last year where I felt like every third movie I saw was in Academy, yeah. you know? and I was like, What's going on? Why are we running wild with this right now?
1: Uh, if you do want to see Saltburn, it is playing now at major and local cinemas.
2: This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia.
0: To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au.
1: Now, it's been 13 years since Edgar Wright's Scott Pilgrim vs. the World came out, starring Michael Cera, which makes me feel very old, actually. 13 years is a while. Uh, The film was, of course, based on a series of graphic novels by Canadian author and comic book artist Brian Lee O'Malley. And soon after the film's release, there was actually a video game adaptation and now an animated series titled Scott Pilgrim Takes Off has been released on Netflix, which with much of the cast of the 2010 film reprising their roles.
0: I believe all of the cast. Is it Edgar, everyone? R- yeah, Edgar Wright went out of his way to solicit them all to return. And fun fact, they're all still on a group email thread that started <laughs> oh up in gosh. 2009 when they were filming. That's amazing. And they all had such a good time making the film that none of them wanted to leave.
1: That's so nice because when the film first came out, out they weren't massive stars but a lot of them are now so I imagine the budget was a lot bigger for this one I mean I don't know how much voice acting pays but hey it (laughs) is an incredible
2: cast for an anime yeah I don't think I've ever seen like maybe like a big you know uh, like spirited away or something like Mm. that the American cast of that was pretty yeah
1: Mm. it's becoming the new thing well for Scott Pilgrim takes off the new Netflix series O'Malley has written the script and Wright is on board again um, but as the executive producer this time dream about that girl again i didn't care the first time you told me care even less now Toronto, Canada. Not too long ago. hey want to go out sometime you want to go on a date with me
0: ramona flowers has seven evil exes all of whom you must defeat in order to date her what
1: Crew, I know that Edgar Wright's 2010 film is one of your favourites. It's um, true. It's there a, must have been a it's lot beloved of it. by me. <laughs> You're even wearing a Scott Pilgrim uh, vs. the World themed T-shirt tonight. Sure. It's, Great for know, radio. Yeah. Do you know a girl with <laughs> hair like this? Yes, that's Ramona Flowers. Um, There must have been a lot of anticipation for you for this one
0: I guess so, yeah And Mm. I expected that it was just going to adapt the graphic novel series in its entirety The film probably takes from about one and a half of the books in total um, And there were six of them But this is an entirely new thing that in lots of ways is a a rebellion against uh, the graphic novels, the movie I guess... Uh, capitalising on Brian Lee O'Malley's changing feelings. It sort of explodes the story. Its Mm. most radical gesture being to minimise the lead character and focus instead on what was initially the object of his affections, you know, the figurative and literal girl of his dreams, Ramona Flowers, voiced by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She becomes the protagonist of the Mm. story and Scott Pilgrim goes away for a number of episodes, which I thought was a really interesting kind of creative Choice um, and it interrogates relationships in a from a different point than what the movie did.
1: Actually, just on that, we should yeah. touch upon the fact that O'Malley, when Scott Pilgrim vs. the World came out, and I don't know how many years after the film came out that he made these comments, but he did reflect on it and say he was really disappointed about the fact that there was a lack of diversity. Mm-hmm. And he talked about it. I mean, he wrote the books, mm-hmm. so it's coming from him. Um, but... And he's he's
0: Asian Canadian as yeah, well, so he yeah. was feeling like he let himself yeah. down. Yeah, Mm.
1: and he he talked a lot about the fact that, you know, it was kind of like an internalised racism, I suppose. Like he just said he grew up in an extremely white environment Mm. and, you know, white Canadian culture was was what he was surrounded in. And so that's what he created in his books. And
0: Sure. Well, I mean, the, the graphic novels and the film are really set in the world of, like, indie rock. He played in, like, indie rock bands. Mm. Um, Scott Pilgrim was the name of a song by a band called Plumtree. It's uh, it's set in all these real dive bars around Canada, uh, metric and broken social scene. They were part of the, you know, p- composing the soundtrack for the movie. So, I mean, that is a pretty kind of, you know, white milieu. I thought it was really interesting in the series that indie rock is no longer the touchstone and now film Adaptation yeah. is the <laughs> cent, is like the Central okay. artistic thing and We've that gone prob- from
1: music bros to film bros That probably
0: reflects what Brian Lee O'Malley's life mm. has been like Throughout the making of Scott Pilgrim and then Afterwards it gets pleasingly Meta in doing that uh, The first episode of the series, like the first graphic novel Is called Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life And then within the series itself, which is Eight episodes, around 22 minutes each Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life is turned into A movie and then into a musical The movie is directed by an excitable Englishman named Edgar wrong uh, <laughs> a loving caricaturization of Edgar Wright and uh, which I think it's not just kind of like a cute meta joke but it's sort of an interrogation of adaptation Mm. who tells what stories there's that you know the sort of jokes about how uh young neil one of the characters is presumed to have written a screenplay which sounds like the movie itself like based on what's happened using everyone's real names within this world and it's like well who gives him the right to tell that Mm. story why is it told from this perspective
1: and also that idea of owning your own narrative as Mm. the series goes on that comes into the actual narrative itself. Self. We're mm. different. Uh, there's a bit of time travel. I think that's not a <laughs>
0: <Sure>. <laughs> spoiler,
1: but there's the time travel allows for that whole thread of. The narrative and maybe mm. changing how you saw past relationships. I mean, the whole thing is about past relationships. Well, so. I
0: would say that the initial film was about reconciling and accepting the romantic history of any new partner. That's what I took from it. That Are is a people... very
1: beautiful reading of it because because a... <laughs> otherwise <laughs> there's some you could takes. say to be like,
0: oh yeah, well, yeah, when you're going out with a new person, you have to get rid of the baggage of the exes. <laughs> you have to like beat them all and show that you're the best. You're... But I think because it is so heavily referential to video games, is the idea about with each new relationship you're trying to get. The a it, Final boss. You're trying to get a bit better <laughs> and go a bit further. Um, this film to me is about looking at past relationships not of the other person that you're being with but of yourself like the ramona flowers has made the main character so she's looking back at like why you behaved the way that you did in past relationships Mm. and what those relationships and the people you were in them with say about you as a person being
1: actually let's talk about ramona for a second because one of the so there have been there's always um i suppose with going back through films that were made in the in the mid-noughts there's a lot of reevaluating how how they kind of read today
0: sure how close to a manic pixie dream girl Yes, yeah
1: Yeah, and the film is often Used as this kind of, you know, she fits into That stereotype, but a big part of it Is also the fact that one of the Seven exes is a woman And the way in which that bisexuality is dealt with in the film is through bi erasure where she just fobs it off as a state and then they Mm. rework that into this tv series where um her ex-girlfriend is given a whole episode and i actually think there's a really tender moment between them where they're able to have a conversation about yeah i I just walked out on this relationship and i didn't give you a reason and it actually gives it some grounding and i think it's really interesting revisiting material that doesn't always stand up that well and i know it's your favorite film Okay. so I'm te- I've been- I'm treading carefully but some have referred to it as an incel fantasy <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait it doesn't I'm not even those it words. doesn't even star Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix though no. King of the Incel movies <laughs> I love him Bo is afraid <laughs> and Joker the two defining uh, incel texts of
1: well, the past decade Scott Pilgrim sometimes oh, I th- is conversation
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean I really I'm interested in this idea about it, adaptation and how you know this has changed it's been 13 years mm. and it was probably 7 or 8 years when the film came out from when the book came out so this uh, the first one
0: was 2004 yeah. right so yeah. this
2: is about 20 years mm. old this story so of course it's evolved mm. right but we're pretty reticent for stories to evolve uh, these days in adaptations. We, you know...
1: Oh, there's been some backlash about, yeah. oh, it's not... Because people, I think, similar to what you were saying, crew like that people were expecting it would just be the film animated, mm. but it's not, and well, it follows you, a very different you've uh You've already got the film. Twist. Do something different,
2: <laughs> you know. Yeah. That's what I think when I see a new, you know, Marvel 30 or whatever, I think, <laughs> well, we've
0: already got this. But there's also... so. Some- this is one of the few times where I really feel like on the inside of fan culture. I don't really feel, I guess as a <laughs> critic, you sit outside of that, but I got all the Easter eggs, all the references, tying your shoes slowly, bread makes you fat. Is that seriously the end of the story? Do you know, go with hair like this. There's all these references to classic moments from the movie in sometimes pretty inspired or interesting ways, sometimes kind of subversive ways. I was delighted that it wasn't just a graphic novel, mm. you know, this uh, 15 to 20 year old works being written. It's like it's a new thing and it's taking in a lot of uh, Brian Leomelli's experiences of w- what it felt like to have a very personal story uh, from a young man's perspective mm. be adapted and enter into the canon. Like this movie was a bomb when it came out. They spent a lot of money making it. They made a tie-in video game, as you mentioned and then it famously crashed at the box office but has gone on to become this very beloved cult movie. Mm. Especially because all the people, I don't even know if we've mentioned the cast, let's go Michael Sarah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Kieran Culkin, uh, Jason Schwartzman, Brandon Ruth, Chris Evans, Anna Kendrick, Brie Larson, Aubrey Plaza, Alison Pill, Mae Whitman. It just kind of goes on and on and on. And so many of the people went on to become stars of Marvel movies. Edgar Wright almost made a Marvel movie, made half an Ant-Man before they fired him.
1: <laughs> I do love that they gave Wallace more. Uh, to work with. I think they gave... Colgan is so good at it. He's
0: so good. They gave all the characters more. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Characters that were villains uh, Mm. and quite thin caricatures get more complexity and empathy. Mm. They go off and have different adventures. And you're right, like when they show Roxy Richter, the Mae Whitman character, more of her perspective on what her relationship was. Oh, it wasn't just like a college fling where you were trying out a same-sex relationship. She got her like heartbroken, And that's the interesting thing where the first film is, in some ways, I would say it's a warning not to demonise the exes of a person's past relationships, but it also could be read as if that's exactly what it's doing. Actually, it's, yeah. it's like these are the villains who, you know, the people who got there before you, which is a very adolescent idea. Yeah. Of course, but people. It's an have, adolescent film, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, of I mean, course. It's
2: about a. You know,
0: he's 22, but yeah, he's, 22, he's, dating, but he's, he's dating, dating a high, high schooler. schooler.
1: <laughs> and, and that that whole uh, storyline, I feel like they changed quite a bit of that. Absolutely. I mean, not surprisingly, they kind of had to. Yeah, it's interesting with how they rework and kind of grapple with it. And I suppose in some ways there's a real fascinating thing happening where it's happening on a text level, but it's also happening with the writers themselves returning back to the work I and mean, being mm. like, what mistakes did we make? Will, were you a fan of the film? You've seen a few of these, a few episodes of I I've seen a few episodes of this show. I've
2: seen the first half or so. The film I don't love. I really liked Edgar Wright at one point and I, you know, still quite like most of what he does. But this was, I think, the first Edgar Wright film that made me think, oh, okay, so Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and Jessica Stevenson are his main collaborators and they're the substance, I think, in this style slash substance. Uh, partnership.
0: Simon um, Pegg and Nick Frost cameos in the uh, Scott Pilgrim series. They do. Perhaps. Maybe you haven't got
2: there yet. No, I don't think I have. Yeah, no, spoiler but, alert. But, so, you know, I always felt the film was a bit all icing and no cake. I'm sorry.
1: Mm. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I know, we're both being very but, apologetic. Oh, I, I, tra- I do,
0: you don't need to apologise. I do Come really
2: like this and filling in the characters gives it more depth, I think, that the film didn't have. Mm. And I, why is it set in 2007 still or, or thereabouts? <sighs> they both... Films tonight? when we say a, a uh, both?
0: Both films are uh, all, uh, all icing, no cake.
2: Apparently, uh, yeah. and they are both. <laughs> no, no. I, the I really like the, the anime. This, uh, I
1: actually think I feel as though some of the visuals and before, Karra, you mentioned some of the references that are being made, like for for the fans, like little yeah. Easter eggs. But there's also some beautiful cinematic references. Um, I loved that episode in particular, where there was lots of little visual references, and I got a lot out of the visual space. I feel like watching this. I got the sense, it kind of. Almost the opposite to you, Carew, Where I was like, I felt very much not a fan, and not as though this was a story told for me. I didn't mind sitting with it, but I also felt like there were some limitations to how much I could get into the characters. Maybe because I'm also bringing Scott Pilgrim, the earlier film, to this reading, and I was like, maybe they could have pushed it further. Maybe they could have been a bit more radical. They did make some radical, cho- well, not radical. They made some choices to change and update. And I like that process of returning. You know, what, you could create a whole new thing, but there's something interesting about digging back into, mm. you know, like we're saying, the 2000s, and reflecting because those texts exist. And I really like that. I've seen that with, I've forgotten the name of the, the showrunner, but Bojack Horseman, in the first season of that show, he made lots of kind of really inappropriate jokes that didn't land that well. And then in the second and the third season... He kind of redressed that, and he did like change, and I I love seeing that in, particularly in a TV series. And I think we're left on something of a cliffhanger, so I think there will be a second season. I think
2: this this also that decade is something that's it's a time that is really ripe for reevaluation and discussion around where the culture was. Yeah, it's pretty vile at times the way pop culture was. Yeah, misogyny, uh, racism. Yeah, there was exactly. And cons- everything was open content. slather. You could say whatever yeah. you want, do whatever you want. And it was all just with this sort of veneer of irony across everything. Mm. So I really like the idea that we can look back on stuff like that and actually reassess it and yeah. talk about it. And yeah, just recast things in a new light, yeah. in a contemporary light. I like remakes. I like seeing the same stuff brought back to light.
0: Except for Disney live action remakes.
2: <laughs> no, I don't know. I have never seen one. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I have no
0: you idea. watch The Lion King no, and I or The Little Mermaid and get back to
1: <laughs> well, it. For a special episode that's all about films that are um, all icing, no cake, we should talk about some of the musical icing that is laid onto this TV series. Oh, it's great. Yeah, isn't it? I mm. loved it. There's I had a r- song in there by joy.
2: Christina, who is this quite obscure, like early 80s, um groomed to be a superstar mm prima donna what's a girl to do is the name of the song by christina you should look it up every
0: every episode over the closing credits i'm like this is the music supervisor just playing out (laughs) their needle drop fantasies and of course the opening theme song total banger 90 seconds of just wild music anna managuchi did the score as with the movie and the original graphic novels there's so many references to video games it's very intertextual
2: and i assume i'm not totally au fait with The anime world, Mm -hmm. right? But this it makes perfect sense as an anime to me because the ones that I've seen, mm. Neon Genesis Evangelion, like Fully Coolie and stuff like that, which I read that Fully Coolie was an influence on on Scott Pilgrim. This makes perfect sense as an anime in my understanding of the genre as a sort of teenage angst given cosmic significance
0: sure and it is actually animated in japan so it, oh, doesn't, right. it doesn't have this uh you know anime style like they're biting on it and i wonder how much the reason that this existed isn't because of netflix being like wow scott Pilgrim's really crunching in our algorithm we've got to do something with that there could have been as much uh, i'm guessing it's probably big in japan amongst like young humans oh you reckon mm. yeah that's my guess i could be totally wrong
1: well scott pilgrim takes off
0: takes off he, he ta- oh <laughs> oh my god that. i just got the double meaning in the title because he goes away
1: for several episodes he does take <laughs> Wait, what's he takes off what's the other
2: meaning
0: oh he, he's rocketing into space i don't know
1: i also just realized the double meaning there
2: <laughs> takes, still only getting one meaning he
0: takes off he goes no. away he uh, yeah. gets out of here
2: yeah, that's the one
1: if you that's want one it of Ta- takes off like as in
0: bursts as in ascends upwards and I, becomes a great success
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right.
1: It's (laughs) multi-layered. And it's on Netflix (laughs) right now.
2: I
0: feel like this is a a wild episode of this show, Flick. (laughs) Are you glad you invited me and Will on? Triple
1: Ah Before we wrap up, um, we were chatting off-air about some new releases that have come out that we've all really enjoyed, namely David Finch's *The Killer*, which we haven't covered on the show and we won't, unfortunately, get a chance to cover. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. It um, rules.
0: It rules hard. It, it could also fit in this of being uh, in this episode of being essentially a kind of empty, no icing, <laughs> no cake. It's an immaculately made kind of empty genre movie. I you guess what, it is it
2: in what? a deliberate way. It in a it deliberate goes its way, deal. it's
0: an incredible film about uh, the gig economy. As uh, we'll put it about, you know, the perils of being a freelancer
1: You know what it reminded <laughs> me of? A Bret Easton Ellis novel I just felt like it was oh, that yeah. perfectly because on of screen. The drive, the,
2: dry yeah, the monologue. emptiness,
1: the mm. kind of... Ca- I just was the like eighties pop soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, eighties <laughs> pop.
0: You mean the Smiths? One hundred percent Smiths. The one hundred percent Smiths
2: soundtrack. We should just say that this is this film is about an assassin played by Michael Fassbender, who is extremely cold and calculating, and just constantly has headphones on, listening to the, the best of the Smiths. Yeah, which is a long compilation. <laughs> it's a
1: really long. Um, I actually listened to the Smiths album on my cycle home after watching it. I was like, obviously couldn't get enough enough of it. Crew, you also had an opportunity to see the new Hunger Games film. which has got another wordy title. What is the it? The Hunger
0: Something Games about- colon, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, there I believe go. is what it's called. Hunger Games colon. Uh, it's pretty good. Three stars. Okay. Um, <laughs> I would it's, Perfectly it's, fine. It's incredibly <laughs> long. I think it's maybe about 157 minutes. Why? but It gives it this really interesting structure where about the first 100 minutes play out exactly as it you'd expect. It feels like a Hunger Games movie. It, it hits all the beats and then all of a sudden in quite a literary way which i imagine is informed by the book there's this whole third act which is really strange and morally complex really interesting it almost feels like it's trying to be a kubrick movie if i could dare say it but tacked (laughs) on to the end and i saw it at a big preview screening of all these hunger games fans in costumes i don't know if they really liked the morally complex (laughs) third act in which our star-crossed lovers who who conquer the post-apocalyptic whatever running man hunger games gauntlet then they're like, oh, actually, I think you're kind of a shit person. And maybe we're going <laughs> to drift apart.
2: And the fans are like, this costume is really hot. This needs <laughs> to finish.
0: Exactly. I've got my 16-eye high heel Doc Martens on. It's like, Jesus Christ, my feet are sweating. Hurry up, Francis Lawrence.
1: Well, there's, look, there's lots at the cinema. For you to check out. I feel like we haven't given um, some recommendations, some maybe skips, but yeah, I appreciate your time tonight, Anthony and Will. <laughs> oh, thank it you. It is always a pleasure chatting film with you. Um, also, thank you to Lu Lin for her producing support and to Kelsey Pettifer for the socials.
0: Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in
1: touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the R website.